You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Giants Double Play, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Janie Hu, the Chronicles assistant sports editor, and I'm joined, as always, by our Giants beat writer, Henry Shulman. Hey, Henry. Thanks for joining us back here in the Chronicle headquarters. Uh, it's been a while since we last got a chance to talk. Yeah, it's always nice being here on the uh, at the corner of myth and fission, as uh, Phil Frank used to write in his cartoons. <laughs> uh, it's uh, I think it's been about two months um, since uh, we last got a chance to to chat, and uh, I apologize to our listeners for uh, this, this little gap. Warriors. Um, Warriors. Yes, there was this little this little team here called the Golden State Warriors and busy winning another NBA championship. Uh, so I was sidetracked with those duties, and uh, we had some scheduling um, little blips here. So, uh, but we're back, and lo and behold, we've got a 500 Giants team uh, after an 18 and 10 June. Madison Bumgarner is back. Justin Marge is back. They're pitching well. They're pitching great. Uh, this is, uh, I mean, one of the best pitching staffs they've had now in years. And, I mean, if they, it, it, their biggest question mark is Johnny Cueto right now because he's, you know, he's thrown two games, um, has not looked particularly good in any of them. And now, remember, he's throwing with a partially torn UCL uh, ligament, the Tommy John ligament. And, and uh, I mean, he, if, I, if you had asked me at the beginning of the season, could they withstand no Bumgarner for two months uh, no Cueto for over two months. No Samarja for his, uh, the two times he's been out, and uh, and Hunter Strickland breaking his hand, punching a door or a wall, and and still have the kind of pitching they're getting and be three games above five hundred or uh, right, you know, three games out of first place, which is where they are as I as we're talking. I would have thought no, I, I don't think they can do that and uh, couldn't do that. And uh, they've they've just gotten some help from uh, some places you wouldn't expect, and uh, they're pitching their hearts out. That, that is a strength of this team. Right. Uh, so one thing that hasn't changed is that they, they can't seem to consistently get into an offensive groove. Yeah, and I mean, and that's been a story around here for ages. Uh, that's, uh, you know, I mean, since the uh, Bonds era, since the steroid era, and yeah, it might have been a little overlap there, but, you know, since that era, the Giants have not really been a great hitting team, with the exception of 2012, the year that uh, – you know, Buster won the MVP, and Melky Cabrera, speaking of PEDs, was, uh, you know, leading the league and hitting and all that. And, yeah, it's been a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, I think, you know, we there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, Buster Posey, we now know, has essentially been hurt right. for uh, since mid-May with this hip injury, uh, has not been able to hit the way he should. Um, Andrew McCutcheon uh, is, has not really taken off the way uh, people expected, the way the Giants expected him to. Uh, now, he's been uh, statistically one of the unluckiest hitters 
in baseball this year, he actually leads the Giants in making outs on balls that are 100 miles an hour or more off the bat. So he's hitting into a lot of tough luck. Mm-hmm. Um, and Evan Longoria uh, didn't hit. Uh, and, you know, Longoria and McCutcheon are both guys that, uh, you know, the, the stats people would say were in decline years anyway. But the Giants still hope to get something out of them offensively. And Longoria did a good job against left-handed pitching. Uh, but otherwise uh, did a terrible job against right-handed pitching. So just all around the, you know, the diamond, they've uh, uh, really struggled to, to find ways to put runs on the board and support what is now a really good pitching staff. Right. Um, and the uh, you had mentioned Longoria and McCutcheon. The other um, veteran that they, I guess, acquired in a sense during the offseason was Austin Jackson, who obviously was going to be an extra outfielder, um, but uh, didn't pan out. Um, and so, so that was one of the trades that the Giants have made recently, sending Jackson, Corey Guerin to the Rangers for a prospect. Can you... Tell us a little bit about that, because what is it that the Rangers have on on the Giants here? Well, I think it's the other way around. I think the Giants have. Uh, sorry, uh, yes. Giants. Exactly. I think I, I, I think that uh, you know there must be some pictures of John Daniels, the Rangers general manager. No, I mean in all seriousness, and just to give you background of what we're joking about, uh, the Giants have made three trades with uh, the Rangers, and uh, uh, in two of them, the, the last two, um, three trades in the last year, within the last year, in two of those, the Giants really uh, got bailed out of some financial mistakes that they made. Uh, trades that they made. I mean, they took the Rangers took Matt Moore and all of his nine million dollars due this year uh, in a deal in the off season uh, because they really liked Matt Moore. They they had liked Matt Moore from the beginning, from when he was still an amateur, uh, and they thought they could turn him around, and they were wrong. Uh, and but they, the Giants were able to save nine million dollars, uh, use that money to go out and uh, get McCutcheon, uh, and you know help them save a little bit of face in that uh, deal with Tampa. Uh, and now, lo and behold, the Giants signed Austin Jackson for two years, uh, $6 million. The original plan was hoping, their hope was that Steven Duggar would become uh, the everyday center fielder maybe sometime by mid-April or the end of April, and then Jackson could be a right-handed complement. Mm-hmm. Then he ended up becoming the everyday center fielder, right. uh, and he's just not that anymore. Right. And, and then he wasn't even hitting against left-handers, which is what they really uh, signed him for after he hit over 300 against lefties. and. And now, lo and behold, uh, the Rangers take uh, Austin Jackson and Guerin in, in return for Jason Barr, a single-A pitching prospect. And uh, and now the Giants are – they have breathing room under the luxury tax cap. I think they were probably over it, but they saved $2 million this year on that alone. But just getting back to the trade, which is what you asked me about, essentially what this trade boils down to is that the Rangers are paying $5.2 million dollars that is the price they are paying to get Jason Barr, who's a right-handed pitcher. He was, I think, the fifth-round draft pick for the Giants last year. And I happened to see Jason pitch in a single-A game, the one single-A game I've been to this year. And he's, you know, he's a good young pitcher. I mean, he's very projectable, as they say. He's projectable to reach the majors, but he doesn't throw hard. He throws 88 to 92 miles an hour. Uh, he still has to develop a consistent breaking pitch. And I look at him and go, this might be a major league pitcher, but is, is that a $5.2 million bonus type player. I mean, that's first round money. Right. And he's not a first round pitcher. 
Right. Um, well, I guess time will tell on, on that front. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's talk about um, people who, uh, not. Uh, I don't know, I feel like we kind of went down the underachieving route. Maybe overachieving isn't the right way, but we ha- there are a couple giants that are having really solid years. Um, Brandon Crawford um, making the all-star team. Um, Brandon Belt almost <laughs> making it. But um, I, I w- can you talk a little bit more about um, Brandon Crawford, John Shea, um, our, our national baseball writer, Writer, uh, has a piece coming out. Um, one of my favorite stories uh, that the Chronicle ran last year was your piece, um, Deep Dive, on Brandon Crawford, not just uh, the struggles on the field, but just everything that his family had to go through off the field um, uh, with uh, his wife's sister um, dying of an asthma attack, um, Jayla, his wife's uh, miscarriage and tr- when they were trying to expand their family. To see all of that come full circle has has got to be, I mean, that, that's got to be a really good feeling. It's, it's such a feel-good story all around. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, he, he's hitting, uh, I think he had just under 300 right now. And when you think about how badly he started the season, I mean, he was just, he wasn't hitting at all. So, I mean, he had the kind of uh, month in May where he easily could have been player of the month and lost out to Scooter Jeanette because uh, Crawford was hitting 400 or so. And it's kind of an interesting story. I mean, uh he wasn't hitting, and he got uh, t- uh, hitting tips from two people you wouldn't expect. That would have been hitting coaches Pablo Sandoval and hitting coach Gregor Blanco, who uh, noticed that he was not holding his hands as high as he was when he was hitting really well the last time that each of those guys had been with the Giants a couple of years ago. And uh, they yeah. gave him a hitting tip, and it just turned overnight. And uh, you just never know where you're going to get a hitting tip from. And uh, he really has been fairly consistent. Uh, I mean, he's obviously not—he's obviously come down from May when he was hitting in the in the four twenties or four thirties uh, with all those home runs. He's not that right now, but uh, he's still a fairly consistent offensive force for this team. And um, you know, it just it, there's so, so much on social media and whatnot. My emails about how Brandon Crawford is. Uh, on the downslope, he was, you know, he, they shouldn't have given him all that money. He's not a top-level shortstop anymore. And, I mean, I think you would ask any pitcher on that staff um, who they would like, who else they'd rather have at shortstop uh, right now. And uh, there aren't too many guys they would say above uh, Brandon, Brandon Crawford. <laughs> right. Um, we'll move to the uh, the other Brandon, Brandon Belt. Um, uh, I, I got to say that the Giants social media staff here might have outdone themselves uh, with the participation of Derek Holland and Hunter Pence with these uh, oiled up. I, I don't even know. How, how would you describe it? These uh, commercial. Uh, well, they're doing these WWE. Yeah. Dub, they did these WWE style uh, commercials with the Ballot Brothers and. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm standing on the field yesterday before the game waiting to talk to Bochy, and all of a sudden Derek Holland comes out without his shirt on and starts slathering himself in baby oil so he can look like, you know, he's all, um, you know, buff and, and sweaty and all that. Uh, one of the staff members is drawing six-packs abs on him. Because it. if you look at his shirtless pictures, I mean, he's he's not even like a, uh, you know, half a, uh, half a, uh, a single Coke ab. Um <laughs> And, uh, you know, the social media staff actually did help get Brandon Belt elected to the All-Star Game by the fans two years ago. And when they do these final vote things, they, they really go whole hog. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 I mean, everybody, the fans, the, uh, Brandon's teammates, uh, the social media staff, really tried to do everything they could to get him elected uh, to his second All-Star team. And it didn't work. 
but I mean, he did lose out to the guy who is leading the league in homers and OPS. Um, so it's it's not a total. Uh, you know, I mean, it, 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 I guess the when they talk about getting the best people to the All Star game, I mean, that's what happened in this case. It kind of would have been a crime for Jesus Aguilar or the Brewers not to make it. Right. But Bell had a good time with it, and he he was very very thankful yesterday. I mean, after joking about how uh, the Russians rigged the, this election, he was very, very thankful to everybody, particularly the social media staff, uh, for, for helping him get there. And look, he's having what could be a career year. Right? Everybody focuses on the home runs, and he has, he, you know, he goes into power streaks. He's not in one of those right now. But he still has uh, the seventh best, last I looked, seventh best OPS in the league. Um, and right now, you have to call him the team MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, the defense is, is, is doing great. And, and if he's not an all-star uh, right now in 2018, he's th- at the very next level. Right. So so we are sitting kind of on the cusp of the all-star break here. Um, you have an interesting uh, – I, I know this. This there's a lot of chatter on Twitter about did, did the right people make the team. And I think I saw um, something from you. It said, hey, this isn't the all-stat team. It's the all-star team. And there's something to be said about the – that it's not always going to be the best people statistically that are going to be on this team, and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people in the stat community, as I call them, um, with a little bit of an edge, a little derisively, the stats community, a lot of people um, don't feel that way. They feel mm-hmm. everything should just be based solely on the stats. Uh, but, I mean, they could they could just have a computer pick the all-star team right. uh, that way. Uh, but, I mean, I really think that the, the league for decades has wanted the fans involved in picking the team. I will say, however, that the fans are doing a much better job of picking these teams. And the reason is statistics. You right. have to look towards statistics. And I think the, the availability, the easy availability of, of statistics, uh, more and more people who understand advanced metrics, I'm talking about the fans, not the media or the teams mm-hmm. in fantasy baseball uh the amount of uh, uh research that fans go into fantasy baseball being able to watch other teams on the mlb tv uh and the mlb network um i think all of those combined have helped fans around the country uh recognize who the good players are outside of their own home area right so it's not just a matter of sitting there with in front of your computer filling out your ballots and um you know, and just picking your own home guys and then a name you might know. Brandon right. Crawford uh, had the fourth largest margin of victory uh, of, of any of the all-stars who were elected in either league. So, he, I mean, he won by 1.4 million votes over Trevor Story, I believe it was. And, and to win by that many, that's not just the Giants fans stepping the ballots. That's fans right. around the country who recognize what Brandon Crawford is, what he's become offensively and, and defensively. And now there's even, I mean, the big story that's kind of blowback is are the players picking the right guys to be the, uh, to be the backups? Because uh, some of the snubs, uh, you know, some of the people who are snubbed, the best example being Blake Snell of the Tampa Bay Rays, who leads the American League in ERA, well, he wasn't on the players' ballots, and they're the ones who picked the pitchers. Right. Well, and, and uh, John Shagan wrote about this uh, in his one of his uh, columns recently is uh, that part of the problem that John saw was also when the players have to turn in these ballots as well. Yeah, the, you know, the, with the fans, they've eliminated paper ballots. Right. Uh, so it, with the just... fans, you, you have to, if you want to vote, you have to go online or you have to go on the MLB uh, at bat app. Well, the players still get these paper ballots, and right. I'll, tell the, I'll tell the listeners how this works. Uh, the PR staff of each team gets these ballots in the mail and uh, or FedEx or whatever, and they go into the clubhouse 
and they just hand these ballots out uh, and uh, say, hey, you got to fill out your all-star ballots. And they're smart. They usually do it on the road because on the road, the players are usually kind of huddled together in the locker room without much to do. Right. And what happens is the players sit down there and fill them out. And they usually fall into small groups. They'll sit around a table or they'll sit in a circle or whatnot. And they'll sort of talk with the, among each other. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, who should we take? Oh, is this guy better than that guy? And I think what happens is each team has very sort of uh, – each team has ballots that are, are very much look alike because of all the communication the players have with one another. But you're right; they do this about three weeks before the ballots, um, the, before the, the uh, fans finish their ballots, and uh, because they have to process all the paperwork and and all that. And now there's a movement to say, "Hey, why don't we have the players vote online too?" My you know my answer to that was, "It's hard enough to get them." To, to sit down with a piece of paper that's handed to them. Right. Now, I'm trying to imagine the PR staff trying to get all these guys to sit in front of a computer and actually, and t- and actually do <laughs> it. And, and to me, that I mean that that would be like herding cats. Yes. But I think you'll see the I think you'll see the players voting later next year because there is a way to there's a way to do that. Right. We're, and, I, and I'm looking at this right now. They had to vote the weekend of June 15th right. uh, to 17th, and that that's uh, right. That, that's a lot of lead time into it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we were in LA when they when they did it. Um, so, and you know, you have a guy like Jed Lowry of the A's, which is a great example, who uh, had a really good start to the half. He just slumped a little bit mm-hmm. uh, right around the time right. they voted. Exactly. And then he didn't get voted in, and then he took off again. And, uh, you know, we, I mean, he, players are just like fans, uh, human nature, uh, media too. I mean, human nature is you look at who's hot, yeah. not who, what, what somebody's done their body of work. Exactly. All right. So uh, all-star uh, break also traditionally signals the unofficial halfway point, even even though it's beyond that in, in the season. Um, let's do some first half analysis. Uh, who's your biggest surprise so far? Well, it has to be Gorky Hernandez, the center fielder. I mean, center field didn't work out the way the Giants had expected. They expected, to, like we just talked about, Duggar to be platooning with Jackson in, in center, and mm-hmm. it didn't work out that way. Uh, Duggar started the year off really slowly, uh, and so did Jackson. And, and here's a, here's a Gorkis who's 31 years old, I believe. He's a career uh, backup, and he finally got a chance to play every day. And uh, he's, he's just done a phenomenal job. Uh, defensively, uh, he's, he's been very good. Uh, offensively, I believe he has 11 home runs. Now, he's come down a little bit, too. Um, you know, he, he was hitting a little bit above his head, um, you know, even as a, even as an everyday player, but I, I think that uh, he has to be considered the surprise of the team because he he did more than just hold down the fort with Jackson and Duggar not fitting into the plans the way they hoped. He's actually uh, been done a tremendous job, and Bochy's been able to move him around the lineup. He's led off against left-handed uh, pitchers. He's hit eighth against right-handed pitchers. Yesterday, Bochy stuck him in an RBI slot. He had him hit six because he wanted to rejigger the lineup a little bit. And had Chase Darno, uh, the newcomer, hit uh, leadoff. And then Gorkis uh, hit six, and he ends up hitting a two-run double in the first inning. Um, and, uh, I mean, the defense is, is also key. And, and he's been a really, really, really good center fielder, um, which is what, what they need uh, with, in this ballpark, in this division. Um, so there's your, there's your big surprise. Right. Um, next, I don't even know if this would be the next tier down, but their their young pitching staff has, has got to be right up there as well. Yeah, this was not in the plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know, they if you looked at the plans, you, you would think that I mean Stratton would be a guy who'd be in the rotation uh, the whole time, and you know he was competing in. Uh, then there was some competition in spring training between Tyler Beatty and 
Andrew Suarez. Now, Tyler Beatty was supposed to be the first among equals there, and he's fallen off the map. He just has not been able to get it together. And um, Suarez is, is a guy who um, not only came up and, and filled in for some of the uh, the injuries here. Fill, I believe he came up to fill in for Cueto, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and and he has become a dominant pitcher. I mean, as uh, going, I mean, he's he's going to pitch the final game of the first half Sunday, uh, but he has four uh, starts in a row where he's gone at least five and two thirds innings and allowed one run exactly. And I looked up the list of pitchers who uh, have done that in in the championship era, which starts twenty ten. Mm-hmm. And the and the only names you see are, are Bumgarner, Matt Cain. Uh, Tim Lincecum and uh, you know Ryan Vogelsong had one of those, and and now Andrew Suarez, and and he looks like a guy who could be a number two in a rotation uh, and and do it for a long long time. And then Derek Rodriguez uh, is, a, I mean, he's only been pitching for four or five years, and uh, in in I mean, he was just a guy they signed off the scrap heap off of Minnesota. Minnesota didn't even think he was one of their best twenty three pitchers. They didn't put him on the forty man, and and he's come up and done a tremendous job. Uh, and and these two kids could be, they could be around for a long, long time. The Giants have control of these guys for six more years, five more years, right. and uh, that could help the Giants rethink what they do to build the 2019 team. I th- I think that's a huge, huge impact as well as what they do this year. Right. Um, and, and speaking of Derek Rodriguez, I will say that you did, I think, um, point him out on a uh, one of our podcasts that, hey, here, here, keep an eye, keep an eye on this kid, uh, Pudge Rodriguez's kid. He, you know, he could be coming up, and but I don't think any. He's definitely over delivered. Yeah, a <laughs> regular, a regular Nostradamus. I am. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't even predict which road to take to get here in less than forty five minutes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was just uh, – he didn't look all that great. They put him in a couple of games, and then there was just this one game, and I don't know why it clicked that game, and I don't know if, the, if even Rodriguez knows, but it was a spring training game in uh, Arizona's home ballpark down there at the Salt River Fields in Scottsdale, and it was a night game. It was on television. The place was full, and that's the biggest stadium down there, so there's like 15,000 people in there, mm-hmm. and it, it had the closest thing to a regular season feel as you're going to have, and here's this kid who – who's 25 years old and has, has, you know, I mean, four years ago he was an outfielder. And he goes there and he just dominates for, for about five innings. He dominates the Arizona Diamondbacks regular lineup. And you're going, whoa, you're looking at the stuff, 95 miles an hour, uh, great secondary pitches. And, and, and I think that's what I, and not just me, I mean, that's just what everybody looked at and said, we're going to see Derek Rodriguez up here at some mm-hmm. point. Now, did I think he would be come up here, do what he's done, be able to start the way he started, be able to come in, um, for three innings of shutout relief against the best na- uh, offense in the league to, to win a game. No, I, did, I didn't think that. I don't know that anybody did, other than him and his dad. Right, right. Do you think that there is something to that about um, how he understands the uh, – well, I don't know. Obviously, uh, his dad has new uh, years of catching experience. I mean, I, I saw a quote with him talking about appreciating what Buster Posey did, for instance, um, in the win yesterday, uh, you know, having to catch and, and go through all the pains of that and then have a game extended to extra innings and still to still find the, the batting groove there. Um, but does that help him as a pitcher, having a father who just for years had to kind of study the game from the catcher's perspective? Yeah, I mean, obviously from a you know point of view of pitching and pitches, yeah, but I think there's something else to it. Um, I think that what Yvonne apparently has instilled in Derek mm-hmm. Rodriguez, just from 
what I've seen is this um, notion that you, if you're on that field, you're as good or better as, than anybody else on the field. And, and uh, I asked a question after that three-inning uh, shutout performance. Um, his first three hitters were Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Javier Baez. I mean, these guys are monsters right. at the plate. And he got through that inning. Uh, I think it was one, two, three. And uh, I asked him, uh, you know, if uh, if that's sort of like a whoa moment for him. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he looked at me like I was nuts. I mean, his, his answer was, well, I faced Javi in winter ball before he ever became up in the majors. And those guys, they're just hitters. They're just hitters, you know. Right. And, and, uh, and I just went and I did what I always do, which is throw my pitches and I got them out. And I, th- I think that that's where Yvonne, being Yvonne's son, comes in. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that what Yvonne, Yvonne has instilled in him over the years is don't ever be intimidated on a major league field. Right. If you're on a major league field, if this team has faith in you to right. be a major league pitcher or a major league player, it means that they feel you can compete against these guys and don't get cowed by who your opponent is. Mm-hmm. And, and I, th- I see that tremendously. That's fascinating. So the, the mental game of that, if you're exactly. out there on the mound, um, you belong there. Exactly. It's not just that... He taught uh, Yvonne taught him a good grip or right. talked to him okay. about when you throw a curveball or a fastball, the mental thing. Absolutely. Right. Fascinating. Um, all right. So first half, um, the, the flip side of the surprises, the, the disappointments or what stands out for you? Well, I think the new guys, uh, you alluded to it earlier, um, McCutcheon um, and Longoria and Jackson. I mean, they were supposed to add something significant to the offense. Now, McCutcheon, has uh, you know he has had some very big hits for this team. Um, uh, he uh, maybe not had the power that you would hope he would have, but again, you know he's playing at AT and T and he's hit into some bad luck. Um, but uh, I, I think that the Giants and McCutcheon him, himself would would admit under oath that uh, they would hope he they could get more out of him in the second half. Longoria, uh, I mean, aside from the fact that his defense, he made eleven errors, I think, before he got hurt. Um, hit very, very well against left-handed pitching. And one of the reasons they're really struggling against left-handed pitching now is that they don't have Longoria. And it, I think his, his OPS against lefties was uh, 880 right around there. But he hasn't been the hitter that they had hoped he would be, and, and Jackson as well. Uh, so that that's one uh, area, I guess, if you want to if you want to call it the newcomers. Mm-hmm. And uh, just in general, the offense. I mean, this was supposed to be a team that – uh, you looked at it one through eight and and thought this was going to be a team unlike past Giants teams of recent past uh, that would not get into a long slump where they couldn't score because uh, they had enough talent there uh, to, to get some runs even if a couple of guys were down. And what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is that's not true. And the Giants uh, have had trouble scoring all year uh, at uh, on the road, strangely enough. They've actually outscored them uh, themselves at home and then even lately at home they've had trouble scoring runs right um and that was pretty much the whole point of the past offseason was to address those holes on the offense. and they did and look let's face yeah. it i mean they're approaching 50 wins at the all-star break they only won 64 last year i mean they right. they are a better team than they were last year they almost had to be and uh, so what management went out and did was address the offense, and the offense is better. There's no question about that uh, at, at all. Um, but um, you would look at that lineup, you would like to think that there wouldn't be f- uh, a homestand like until yesterday. I think that they had played six games in the homestand. Five of them, they, they didn't score four runs. And uh, you'd like to look at that that lineup and, and say, you know, that's not the kind of lineup that's going to fall into a funk like that. And they have. 
Right. Um, so the, the the team is also in the middle of a pretty um, soft part of the schedule in terms of traveling. Uh, I, I want to say there's almost this close to two months stretch where their road trips really are L.A., Colorado, Arizona, that type. They're not having to Oakland, travel Oakland, Seattle, exactly. Yeah, Oakland. Right. Um, yeah, this is this very odd um, Bay Bridge series that bookends the all-star break. Um, yeah. I guess the, the guys probably travel home, but it's, you know, they basically have a, this entire homestand for two and a half weeks or so because um, they don't leave the Bay Area. Um, it, time to make up ground? I mean, or it's... I yeah, mean, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the, the schedule was brutal for the Giants to start the year. I mean, they had four three-city trips. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, actually, they have, yeah, I think they have five on the season. They've already had four three-city trips and, and a lot of travel back and forth uh, into the central and eastern time zones. Right. And um, that took a toll. Look, they're an older team, yeah. all right? Um, we have an older team at the Chronicle, not you, but you know, I mean, just as a, as a, somebody who travels for, for work, I can tell you it's hard. I don't, I don't care what kind of shape you're in. It's hard to keep changing time zones and going from city to city. And I think it takes a toll on older players. And I do think that this is a time that they need to make some hay. And, uh, you know, for the most part they are, I mean, they had an 18 and 10 June and a lot of that was, uh, a long homestand uh, at the end of the month. Um, they went seven and three. They're they're four and three on the current homestand. They had a three and three road trip to Colorado and Arizona. A weird one where they had a sweep and got swept. Uh, but even three and three was their best uh, road trip of more than one city that they've had all year. So they're they're doing what you would hope they would do, uh, and they've got to do more of it. The problem is while the schedule is soft now, the opposition yes. is not. I mean, they just uh, played three against the. Uh, the Cubs and 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 now they uh, I mean they got six against the A's and the A's are the hottest team in baseball. I mean let's face it, the A's are just crushing it yeah. offensively. I mean that I mean they're, the Giants are going to have to pitch their hearts out over these six games. And it's just funny that this is the time of year where teams sort of determine front offices determine what direction they're going to go in at the deadline. Right. And for the Giants, it's really going to be determined by um, eight games. Uh, against the two best teams in the National League West. They got to play the A's now for 6. six then yeah. they go then they go to play Seattle for uh, 2. Uh, and then they come home and play the, the best team in the National League right now, which is the Brewers for 4, and that's what's taking them up to the trade deadline. So, if they're not careful, um, they could, you know, they they could fall if they start falling 6, 7, 8 games out right. uh, between now and the break. Now management's got to wonder, well, do we really want to add and take on payroll? Uh, or do we want to shoot for next year? Now, they almost never do that. They almost always add. Uh, but there's a lot of considerations this year with the luxury tax cap. And, um, you know, if the Giants can uh, stay somewhere around three games back, which is where they are when, as I'm speaking, mm-hmm. uh, through this, this this hellacious stretch that's coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, then I think you might see some movement from the front office. Right. Um, and, and on that note, that perfectly segues into uh, we'll be back. Uh, thanks for joining us this time, Henry. We'll be back next time and we will uh, break down the second half and what you think that the Giants are going to be buyers or sellers heading into the trade. Deadline. That's that's called a tease in the business. You did a very <laughs> good job with that tease. All right. We'll see you next time. Thank you. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is Horns of Jericho by Lucas Pern and Miloslav Kolar, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. This show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. 
For more Giants coverage, you can follow Henry on Twitter at Hank Shulman and me at Janie underscore who. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.